Ready? All right. As I said this morning, our theme for the day is equip or equipping. And I want you to think about that theme uh, even tonight. Someone has asked me uh, when we have one of these Sunday nights that is designed more as a class setting versus a sermon. What is the difference? Well, I can tell you the difference is very simple. And it's one word. Time. That's the only difference. When I preach, it's going to be less than 30. When I teach, I have no idea how long it's going to go. So, tonight is a teaching lesson. It's a class setting more than a sermon setting. And I invite you to go with me to the book of Ephesians. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles there. And we're going to spend basically our entire time in the book of Ephesians. The design of these Sunday nights comes from our adult education curriculum team. It was intended prior to this virus hitting that we would have a lesson following the series, Things That Get In Our Way, to the things that propel us forward, and that being the grace of God. And so it was suggested that we follow the book of Ephesians and notice how God, through His gift of grace, propels us forward. And I think it's a great way to follow up that series of things in the way. And then because we're not meeting on Sunday mornings for Bible class, we decided that we would take those designed Sunday morning class lessons and use them as our Sunday night study, more of an in-depth, intense study. So I'm going to invite you this summer particularly to go to the book of Ephesians and let that be your deep study time. If you're looking for something to dig deeply, uh, this would be a good time in the summer to dig through Ephesians because that's what we are going to consider. And so tonight is our theme, equipping. And I want you to notice this passage that was read for us. Uh, the text says that God has equipped us to be or to have everything we need to serve Him. And so let's think about this fact. Number one, God, our Father, wants to equip us. The point this morning was that fathers equip their children for their futures. God is our spiritual father, and he wants to equip us for our future with him. Let's think first of all about this word equip. It is an interesting word in scripture. I've enjoyed looking at it today and thinking about it. Here's what I found. The original word is a word that means the exact adjustment for the purpose of all the individual parts working together in correct order. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. To be equipped means that we have everything we need. And everything we need works together 
all those individual parts work together, not just together, but in correct order. We're going to see that in a number of different ways. I want you to notice how that word is translated in Scripture based on the context in which the word is found. So, for instance, in, in Matthew chapter 4, we find uh, that Jesus in Mark chapter 1 is calling uh, Peter, James, and John from their boats to serve or to follow him as uh, a disciple. And there it is found that he found them down by the seashore mending their nets. That's the same word. They are mending their nets. Now, of course, we understand what that word mending would be. If you're going to catch fish, you can't have a big old hole in the net or the fish will get away. And so what he's saying is this word mending is equipping the net to catch the fish. So that becomes a very important thing. Number two, it is used in the context in Galatians 6 and verse 1. You who are spiritual, restore such a one. Who is that? If anyone among you is caught up in sin, those who are spiritual, restore him. That's the same word. It is a lot like mending the net. Here, a person has been taken away by his own choices. Sin has engulfed him or her. And now it is time for spiritual brethren to restore or mend or equip them. A third way it is used by Jesus in Luke chapter 6, I believe in verse 40. He said, the, the student is not above the teacher. But everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. To equip, then, is to train perfectly to be a teacher. What is needed to be a teacher? One has to be able to put together all the various parts and then present the lesson. So this idea of equipping a teacher... One of the fascinating ones to me that I enjoy researching in a broad scale is Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 3. There the writer in talking about faith says that the worlds were framed by the word of God. That word framed is our word equipped. Therefore what he's saying is this. In creation, God mended together, put together all of the various parts in correct order. I want to ask you something. Scientifically, it makes no sense that macular evolution, macro-evolution that is, could create 
frame together, piece together all the individual parts in correct order so that it could produce a viable organism. It makes zero scientific sense. God created. He fashioned it. He put it together. He equipped everything with all of its parts in correct order. A final passage where this same word is used is Hebrews chapter 10. And in Hebrews chapter 10, he is talking about verse 5, I believe, that sacrifices you did not desire, but you prepared for me a body. There's a prophecy of the Old Testament speaking to the time when the sacrificial system of the Jews would be gone because it didn't work. But instead, God formed a body for Jesus to come and be the sacrifice. And what you see there is both physical and spiritual. He formed the body. In a physical sense, his body grew in the womb of his mother, just like every other child that has ever been born did. And it happens through the process of weaving together the various parts in correct order. But secondly, it was also a spiritual thing. All the prophets, all the prophecies, some have said 330 individual prophecies about Jesus the Messiah. All of them came together, running and running and kept coming together in the form of Jesus, prepared physically and spiritually. What then? is meant by the grace of God, as we're studying, that He has equipped us. God has formed, mended, restored, perfectly trained, prepared, and framed us with everything we need, all of the various parts that we need in correct order to be what He wants us to be. And it is by the grace of God that we have that. This, I think, might be a point to consider. God wants us to know Him. God wants us to understand Him. God wants us to have what we need. Therefore, He is not hiding. He is not trying to fool us. He's not deceiving us. We can put it all together and we can have everything we need because by His grace, He has equipped us with the, everything we need in correct order to be what He wants us to be. I want to look now at these verses, verses 11 and 12 
of Ephesians chapter 4 and make two other points. The first one is this. Notice in the beginning of the verse, He Himself. He Himself. God Himself wants to equip us. He Himself. What I found in the book of Ephesians to me is quite fascinating. Notice, if you will, chapter 1 in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. God the Father is the sender. I'm having three words for you to remember, to hold on to the concept of the Godhead. Our Father, God, is the sender. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. God has showered them down. He has sent them to us. He Himself gave Himself to us. He sent. Look at chapter 2 and verse number 13. But now in Christ Jesus you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ is the Savior. He is the one who has saved us. He is the one that we call the Savior. God sent, Jesus saved, and the Spirit sealed us. Look at chapter 1 and verse number 13. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Chapter 4, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. God Himself wants to equip us. God Himself wants to equip us with Himself. The Father sent the Son saved, and the Spirit sealed. He sealed uh, the words of God in Scripture, and He seals every single person who is a child of God with personal indwelling. He Himself. God is not an absentee father. God is not an absentee father like we have in our country today. I found some very disturbing facts. These facts are facts that come from the U.S. Census Bureau. Therefore, they just represent the accumulation of the information 
that has come through taking the census in the country. There are no leanings right or left, just hard, cold facts. Notice these, if you will. The Census Bureau has found that 19.7 million children are raised without a father. That's one in four. No father in the home. Now from those facts, looking at those who are raised with no fathers and those children raised at least with some father involvement, notice the difference. Those homes where children are raised without a father, the children are four times more likely to live a life of poverty. We want to solve part of the problems of our country, which is poverty. Dads, get back home. Stay home. Be a dad. Where those homes have no fathers, the daughters are seven times more likely to be pregnant as teenagers. Do we want to stop children out of wedlock? We'll come a whole lot closer to doing it. The more fathers are involved in the lives of their daughters. And certainly it must say something about the boys. Dads, go home and take care of your children. In those homes, those children are more likely to have behavioral problems. The unrest right now in our country, how much of it might be traced? to fathers being out of the homes. Those children are more likely to face abuse and neglect. Now I know that in a lot of homes, fathers are the abusers. But fathers not in the home is even more abusive and more neglectful. There's, this is an interesting one. I almost it's a hard thing for me to fathom uh, the correlation. But it says, this is the U.S. Census Bureau making the point. In those homes where fathers are not existent in the home, there's a two-time greater risk of infant mortality. Do you mean that dad in the home in those very early months of life Holding, talking to, being with a child makes a difference? I guess it does. You mean mom's caretaking is not enough? Apparently not. Those children are more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol. Probably because they are trying to cover up the pain of not having dad there. 
they're more likely to go to prison. I probably should have run the statistics in prison and find out what it says. Of all people who go to prison, how many of them had fathers not in their homes significantly? Those children are two, two times more likely to suffer obesity. Again, a form of abuse because dad is not there. They're more likely to commit crime. Makes sense if they're more likely to go to prison. And finally, they're two times more likely to drop out of high school. Do you think dads make a difference? That Census Bureau said these words. Homes without fathers are the source of some of our greatest social ills in our country. And no one could ever say that government has a conservative bent to present a conservative message. Even they say fathers equip their children by being there and by being involved. God wants to equip us with himself. So how does he do it? What does God do to equip us. I want to use the material this morning where we noticed that David wanted his son to be strong, to reach his potential, to follow proper instruction, and to leave a healthy legacy. I want to suggest to you that God, our Father, wants the exact same thing for all of his children. And I want you to notice, by the grace of God, what he has given us to equip us to do those four things. Therefore, uh, will you notice with me what he tells us about how God does this. Number one, God wants us to be strong. And He equips us to be strong by the gift of faith. Verse 19 of chapter 1. He speaks of the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power. Faith is a gracious gift of God. I heard uh, in a recent, I don't know, movie or something that I was watching, and the person just offhandedly when said, when confronted with, well, there's no evidence for that. And the person said, that's the point of faith. No evidence. Well, 
That's not the point of faith. That is not at all what Bible faith is. That's a faith, meaning blind faith, leaping out there. But that's not the kind of faith that God is talking about. It's the greatness of His power toward us who believe. Let me ask you a question. How is it possible for us to have power when we have no idea if we're right? Is that possible? This text says, wait a minute, God through His strength gives us strength through the gift of faith. By faith, by the gift of faith, God says, notice, this is the power toward us who believe according to His mighty power. I'm strong because of the gift of faith that He has given me. Faith is, that kind of faith is not something that can be found in the world. It doesn't exist. You can't find that faith anywhere else. It's a gift of God. It is what He gives. It is what He brings. It is what He wants us to have. So God has equipped us so that we might have the faith that we need to move forward. So what then is faith? What then is faith? Faith says... I am sure of the future because I have seen the past. That's what faith is. Let me ask you a question. Do you have any doubt that tomorrow will be a new day? Have you seen tomorrow? I've not. Neither have you. But I have no doubt that tomorrow will be a new day. Well, somebody says, wait a minute, preacher Mike. No, what if the Lord comes? Guess what? It's still a new day. You know how not to get a new day? When there is nothing tomorrow. In other words, for those who teach there is nothing in eternity, tomorrow never comes. It doesn't exist. Nothing in the future. But I believe in the future because I have seen the past. And as we accept what's happened in the past, we move forward into the future knowing that tomorrow, for instance, will be a new day. Because tomorrow will either be a new day here or a new day there. Sadly for some, by way of illustration that we understand, a new day there. So faith is not that which is without evidence. In fact, it is full of evidence. And we have to be able to take it. Number two, God wants us to reach our potential. 
Here's another word that is misunderstood in the religious world today. How has God equipped us to meet our potential? Let me suggest to you, it's by His gift of predestination. Ephesians 1 in verse 5, speaking of God through Jesus, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. Look at verse 11. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Look at this word, predestination. In the religious world, we hear it this way. God has already made every decision, mapped out every act, and thereby you only do what He's already decided you're going to do. That's not at all what this word refers to. Just look at the Greek word itself. It is a word that means a boundary before time. That's what it means. In fact, it is a word that relies upon before the creation. The first thing I need to know about reaching my potential is to know that I have no potential without Jesus. John 15, verse 5. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me will be saved. For without me, you can do Nothing. What is my potential without Jesus? In reality, in overall, in the scheme of things, nothing. Without Jesus, my potential is nothing, for there is nothing out there. There is no tomorrow. But with Jesus, I have great potential. Because He has set the boundary. And His boundary says, here is where I operate. This is where I understand things to be. This is how I know where I'm supposed to be. The idea of the boundary is simply to say, this is the place. He's not talking about the people. I can reach my potential because I know where the boundary is. And if I am in the boundary, I can reach my potential. If I'm not in the boundary, then I have no potential. What is God talking about here? What's He saying to us? Is He saying, I have reached down from heaven and I've grabbed every single individual and placed them where I want them to be? No. God has provided opportunities. God has opened up life, and I have my choice. And I can choose to be in the boundary, or I can choose not to be there. Third, He wants us to follow His instructions. By His grace, what has He done to help me follow instructions? Look at chapter 5 and verse 2. Walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given Himself for us. Walk in love. 
how would that change everything? What would it be like if everybody loved the way God has given it to us? What has he done? He gave of himself. He opened himself and said, here, take me. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice from the heart of God. God giving himself. Jesus giving himself. It is love that causes that to happen. And if I want to follow the instructions in the proper way, when I learn to love, following the instructions is not going to be a problem. It's not. If I love God, Him asking me or telling me what He wants is not going to be a problem because I love. I'm thinking about this text I think it's chapter 4 and verse 15. We are to speak the truth in love. If I have love, I'll speak the truth the way that it ought to be spoken. Because I love God and I love His truth. There's so much more, so much more time we could spend in all of these texts. Let me give you one more. If I'm going to leave behind a legacy, the proper legacy that elevates God by my life, what gift has He given me? Chapter 5, verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Submitting to one another. When I learn to submit, I leave a legacy that elevates God in everything He's about. And I'm telling you this, the world is not going to teach you how to submit. The world doesn't understand the concept of submission. Sometimes submission has been at the point of a sword. That's not submission, it's domination. Sometimes it's been at the point of a vote cast and therefore overriding everybody else's vote. That's not submission. That's domination. But submission says, I willfully choose to put myself in a lower place. This text, we could go in depth, starting right there in verse 22 through chapter 6 and verse 20. You'll find that submission will help me to understand how I relate to my own life place. Where am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be doing? How am I supposed to live? What's my function? That's very important because I respect the place that I am in and I honor it. I know it and I honor it because I'm listening to what God wants. But also, I will be able to understand, if you look chapter 4, starting in verses 25 through 32, I will know the place of everybody else and I will respect their place by treating them properly. And God has given us that gift of submission. Therefore, in summary, how has God equipped us? 
God says, I want you to be strong. I want you to be strong. And to be strong, I'm giving you the gift of faith. I want you to reach your potential. And he gives us the gift of the Bible teaching of predestination. God says, I want you to follow my instructions. And he gives us the gift of self-sacrificial love because that's how I will want to do it. And God says, I want you to leave a legacy that honors me and honors yourself and honors my church. And therefore, God gives us the gift of submission. What would our country be like if we took all of God's gifts to equip our country to be what it ought to be? I think it would be a far better place. Church, God has equipped us to be this kind of church. This kind of church. Strong, reaching its potential listening to and following the instructions of God and leaving a legacy to each succeeding generation so that the church continues to be what it ought to be. I hope this has been helpful in understanding. God propels us forward by His grace, equipping us to be with Him. May God bless our country, our church, and each one of us, as we serve God together in this place, if we can help you, as always, give us a call. We'll pray for you, talk to you, help you get right with the Lord for the first time or again. Thank you for joining us tonight.